1 Corinthians. Turn your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians, the third chapter. Well, a sermon entitled, Worse Than Your High School Reunion. Worse than your high school. That's got to be pretty bad, doesn't it? Worse than your high school reunion. Well, let's, you, I've given the riddle away, but it goes like this. Plastic surgeons love them. Everybody else dreads them. I've only been to one, and they come in fives, tens, fifteens, twenty, twenty-fives, and beyond. Of course, you've already guessed it, the old high school reunion. I went to one about a year and a half ago, and a bunch of old people showed up. <laughs> How is it that I look exactly the same, and everybody else sent their grandparents to my high school reunion? What is it about high school reunions that people dread, dread so much? In fact, a poll done by Roper Starch Worldwide found that only 22% of people said, 22%, they actually looked forward or thought they would enjoy a high school reunion. Compared to same company, 72% said they would enjoy going out to eat to a restaurant compared to 39% who said they look forward to going and having a good time at a wedding. Some of those things are really, really low, but the lowest of all lows is the dreaded, awful high school reunion, 22%. Nobody, nobody wants to go. In fact, our high school reunion, they had a 10% show up, 10 percent attendance. There's often so many more people not at the reunion who actually show up for the reunion. Now, they may have another reason on the surface, but the biggest reason deep down, the honest emotional response is, we are too afraid to face them. High school reunions are such monumental occurrences in the life of people that they show up first to the plastic surgeon's office. It brings a lot of business their way. Facelifts and eyelid surgeries, plastic surgeons say, are the most common procedures associated with the upcoming high school reunion. In fact, a plastic surgical nurse, Sharon DeBrat, said, most ladies will plan their surgery six months to a year before the high school reunion. Occasionally, we'll have that person show up and say, I've got a reunion in three weeks. Can you fix me? And, of course, it's a little bit late then. Some of you have butterflies in your stomach this morning because I'm talking about a high school reunion. And maybe yours is coming up this summer. We worry about that, don't we? Are we up to par? Do we look as good as our classmates? Have we been as successful as our classmates? Can we brag on our children as much as they are going to brag on their children, or in my case, grandchildren? Sweaty palms and fluttering hearts happen on the day of the dreaded high school reunion. It's a day of reckoning. Why do we even care what they think. It's a whole lot like Judgment Day, isn't it? A time of reckoning for what we've done, good or bad, and who we actually have become. Who drove up in a BMW? Who drove up in the old battered Crown Vic? Who still has hair with color? Well, who has hair at all? You might change the question. 
Who caught the trophy wife? Married way above himself. Who did about what we would expect it in life? Who has the most prestigious job? Who commands the crowd when she drives up? On and on we go with the silly notions and judgments of the reckoning day of the high school reunion. Who do you think looked the best? We say, oh, I thought Judy, would you? I don't know, Karen, I don't know. They both look pretty good. Now, what about Sarah? I cannot believe how much Sarah has changed. I did not even recognize her, did you? And she thought she was so hot in high school. Wow, my time has changed some things, hasn't it? <laughs> You're at the high school reunion. Some people can hardly wait to ask you that all-important question, now what do you do for a living? Really because they want to tell you what they do. So they ask you what you do because they know you've got to reciprocate and say, well, now tell me what you're doing now in life. Well, other folks hope that no one's really going to ask that. It all depends on our perspective on success, our perspective on success. Success is our national battle cry. We eat it, we breathe it, we caress it, we baby it, and even worse, we judge ourselves by it. Have I met society's standard for success? Have you met society, the world's standard for success? In America, we have the Holy Trinity to which we pay homage, the Trinity of power and wealth and prestige. Am I somebody? Do you know I'm somebody? And well, if we don't measure up, then we think that we have missed our mark. One thing for sure about the high school reunion Things are never, they are never like they were. You mean to tell me she was homecoming queen? Are you kidding me? Who would have ever thunk it? What about that guy over there? He was quarterback. He couldn't do a 10-yard dash right now if his life depended on it. And he was your quarterback? And who is Richard McClaney? I don't even remember Richard McClaney. He drove up in the Mercedes. He was a nerd in high school. Oh, he started his own software company, did he, since high school? One that you think didn't measure up. Well, the standards change, don't they? High school reunions are full of surprises. But we learn here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, so is God's judgment day. There's a way in which that 25th high school reunion is somewhat like judgment day. It's a, a time of reckoning to see what we've done and who we've become, what we have done with the gifts that we have been given. Paul speaks of a judgment day here in 1 Corinthians 3. It's worse than the high school reunion because it is the only judgment and opinion that matters. And it doesn't measure the peripheral things like a high school reunion. It's not beauty or wealth or popularity or prestige. Here in 1 Corinthians 3, we find out what kind of life really makes a difference for the kingdom of God. What in life counts for all eternity? What kind of life can you show up and not be shamed on God's day of judgment? Earlier, look at verse 6. Paul had been using some agricultural, horticultural metaphors, speaking of the church and the growth of the church and the kingdom of God. I, 
Paul started the church in Corinth on a missionary journey. Well, so he says, I planted, but some of you are pulling for Apollos. I'm not in competition with Apollos. I planted the seed, then Apollos watered the seed. But don't forget, God's the one that gives the increase. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters anything, but God who gives the growth. Then notice what he says in verse 9. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. But look at this. Each one will receive his own reward according to his labor. There will be a day when both Paul and Apollos and all those leaders in the church at Corinth will be judged based upon, rewarded based upon the efforts and the fruit of their own labor. So there in verse 8, he introduces the idea of judgment and rewards. And he continues. We change from fellow workers, we're a field, and then notice verse 9, he changes his metaphor to a building. We are a building. And the foundation of that building, he tells us, and there can be no other foundation, has been laid. So the first thing we see, the foundation for the church, for the kingdom of God has been laid. Look at verse 10. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, Paul's saying, he laid the foundation of the church in Corinth, and another now is building upon it. But let each man be careful how he builds upon the foundation, for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And starting the church in Corinth, Paul laid a foundation for the church there. And there can be no other foundation for the church in Corinth or the church in Amarillo than the story of Jesus. In 123 he says, we preach Christ crucified. In 2.2 he says, for I am determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. The foundation of the church is the story of Jesus. Jesus crucified, and Jesus resurrected, and Jesus coming back again for his church. Paul said, when I was there, I laid the strong foundation. It's a good foundation. It is a foundation of the kerygma, the preaching, the story of the crucified and resurrected Christ. The foundation of the story of Jesus but the foundation of the church in Corinth is the foundation for our church and all churches who are kingdom churches. And then from that foundation, we build upon what we are given in the foundation of the story of Jesus. So first of all, we see the foundation had been laid. Secondly, there is a time of testing coming. As we build upon that foundation, whether we're using the cardboard or the precious stones, a time of testing is coming. Look at verse 12. Now, if any man builds upon the foundation with gold or silver or precious stones, by the way, you, do you recognize those are elements in the building of Solomon's temple? Look at there. Gold and silver and precious stones, those will obviously stand the test of trial and time and judgment. But look at the last three, wood and hay and straw. How are wood and hay and straw going to do when the judgment of fire of God comes down. Also, what you notice there in descending order of value, gold being the most valuable, silver, and then precious stones, and then wood and hay, and just draw stubble at the end. So, 
he's saying, and each man's, verse 13, work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each one's work. In Pensacola, Florida, a man came up with what he thought was a, a brilliant idea. That's hurricane country. He decided to build a dome home. It, his home was going to be shaped exactly like it sounds, a dome home. Well, he hired Mark Sigler to design it. It was supposed to withstand winds about 300 miles per hour, just right above where we are in Amarillo on an average daily basis, about 300 miles per hour. And FEMA got interested in this dome home project, and they actually made a grant to see if it would work. It had 16 pilings, 17 feet deep. It was shaped like a dome. It had a staircase up. It was 22 feet high. And when the winds reached a certain velocity, the staircase was to be ripped from the side, but the dome was to stand unscathed. Well, the shape of the dome home allowed water to go under it and over it and around it, and therefore it never confronted the hurricane. The hurricane would have to work around the dome home rather than confront the hurricane itself. Well, Hurricane Ivan was headed to Pensacola, Florida. The NBC News teams, they decided they were going to stay the night in the dome home and see if it worked. They had cameramen, they had broadcasters, reporters all there in the dome home, and they made it through that hurricane night, and they said the dome home performed exactly like it was supposed to. It survived the hurricane. When the hurricane passed, they went out. The staircase had broken aside just like it was supposed to. They looked, and all the conventional construction homes to the left and the right had been completely demolished. The dome's home generator had kicked on. They still had electricity. The Concrete floors were a little bit damp, and they found a little green tree frog in the kitchen. Other than that, the dome home survived unscathed. In fact, one cameraman said, I didn't even hear much of the hurricane. I slept through the entirety of the night. Like the hurricane approaching Florida, fire is approaching us, Paul says, on the day of judgment. Fire is approaching the church for a time of testing. Verse 13, he says, each one's work will become evident. And the day will show it because our works, our deeds will be tested by fire. Now in the Old Testament, this day of judgment or testing is referred to as the day of the Lord. You might, from the minor prophets, you read the day of the Lord is coming. In the New Testament, from Romans all the way to 1 Thessalonians, it is sometimes called the day of the Lord Jesus Christ, or the day of the Lord Jesus, or the day of Jesus Christ, or the day of the Christ, or the day of the Lord. But they all refer to the same thing, a time when Christ returns and tests what we've built upon the foundation of what he's given us in his crucifixion and the power of his resurrection. Maybe this is a shadowing back to Malachi. Malachi 4. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and evildoers will be stubble. The day that comes shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, who so will leave them neither root nor branch. For you who revere my name, the Son of righteousness, will rise with healings in his rays. 
what you've laid upon the foundation that I left you in Carth is going to be tested. Every leader in the church, every Christian leader will all be tested. How have we built? How is Apollos built upon what Paul has laid? What kind of substance have we used with our lives? Gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, and stubble. Sometimes we live with the fear of coming to the end of our lives and realizing we've wasted our lives. What we have done really doesn't make any eternal difference. It's all turned out to be wood, hay, and stubble. It will be ashes and the judgment fire of God. A life spent not building up the kingdom, building up the church, building up God's people is a kind of life that lasts and matters. As we evaluate our lives this morning, because Paul tells us the day is coming, the returning Christ is going to do that for us. Am I building up the people of God? Are you building up the people of God? Or am I spending all my time and my energy and my effort building up my own empire, my own kingdom, my own entertainment? Am I somebody grasping at power? Or am I someone, someone willing to serve? Paul is saying, the day is coming, a day of testing. Oh, he reminds us we won't lose our salvation based upon our faith in Christ Jesus and not upon our works. No one's telling you this morning that you earn your salvation. Christ accomplished that in his crucifixion and his resurrection. But after that, the judgment of what we've done with what God has given us. In fact, sometimes Baptists don't like sermons like this. I'll give you some homework. Every time, Every time in the New Testament that the people of God are judged, the church, the saved, not the lost, every time that God's people in Scripture are judged, they're based upon their deeds, what we have done. I'll give you a challenge. Go home and find me one judgment scene of the people of God that is not mentioned deeds or activities or what we've done or what we've accomplished for the kingdom, you will not find it. In fact, I was doing my PhD at Baylor. There's a guy doing his dissertation on the judgment scenes and the one common thread and every judgment scene in the New Testament, whether you like it or not, God examines what we have done with the foundation of our faith in Christ Jesus. How have we built upon the story of faith? It matters. Oh, your salvation is sure, Paul says. You'll be saved as though through the fire, he says, verse 15. But don't you want to come before God with gold and silver and precious stones for his kingdom rather than holding a pile of ashes? First Baptist Church of Amarillo gives you countless opportunities to make an eternal difference in the lives of the church and other people. Just this summer, you can go to Lebanon with us serving kids who live in a residential children's home. Or you can go with us with a choir to Costa Rica, music and service projects and prayer. You can pair up with our sister church in Zambia that we support and go on a medical clinic. You can lead a retreat for girls who are in transition home there in Zambia. 
Just this is all with us this summer. You can go to Hungary, teach English, leading Bible camps, sharing the love of Christ. Or you say, I can't travel anymore, can't do that. You can, right here in Old Town, you can go to Cork, you're gay, and say, give me the names of four or five shut-ins in our church family who need someone to check on them about once a month, somebody to make sure on his birthday that somebody is there to celebrate with him, to make sure on Mother's Day that someone shows up with a rose for her. You want to be one of our chaplains at one of our care facilities? We can set you up to do that. So many opportunities. Opportunity to hand out food and clothing twice a week. You can do it once a month. You can do it however you're able to do it. At our Buchanan Street Perkins Center, we hand out food and clothing to Emerald's population. Give you a chance even today to teach someone English as a second language. Refugees come to our community and so proud of Amarillo. We love them and, and make them part of our, our community and part of our church here at First Baptist Church. We preach the gospel every Sunday in six different languages right here at 12th and Tyler. Maybe you help someone. Can you imagine going to another country, being an adult, and being told you've got to learn a whole new language? You can help us help them. And give you a chance to hold babies. Somebody back there in the nursery right now holding babies so young parents can come in here and worship. You can teach Sunday school. You can help us with Bible school. We got as many children here now on Wednesday nights as we do on Sunday. There are all kinds of things to do. Yesterday at First Baptist Church, the parking lot was absolutely full of cars going to basketball games where well, you want to blow the whistle, you want to be the ref. Some of you always are telling the ref what to do. We'll make you the ref. And I'm, I'm the chief sinner. You know, half stuff I preach about, I'm the worst at it. I am the worst at that one. I never miss a call to my couch. Never miss a call. <laughs> a basketball league where kids aren't yelled at, but if the whistle blows, they are encouraged as a result of that. You have an opportunity already, the offering plate passed to help us with all the missions and ministries that we do to make sure that you're honoring God with all the first fruit that he gives you to strengthen your church and your ministries through being generous at the offering here at First Baptist Church. There's so many things you can do. You can help families who are fostering. We can set you up to do that, to join a team. They get the call. You show up the crib. You show up with the car seats. We can help you help them do all those things. The opportunities are absolutely endless. At the end, what have you done? With your life, has it been about you and just your family? Or has it been about God and God's family? Don't come to the end and show up with Christ with a handful of ashes because we, it's hard. We're live, we, we, we grow up in such a selfish society, such an individualist society. We are Westerners, and we think about me and mine and mine and what's best for me and us and we and ours are not Western words. And, but the, the church didn't start out as a Western institution. The words of the church are we and ours, not mine. Famed homiletical professor and pastor Fred Craddock, the late Fred Craddock, said his mother always took him to Sunday school. His father wouldn't go. In fact, his father would sit at home, and when his mother came in from church, she, he would complain that her going to church had made his Sunday lunch late, and he didn't appreciate it. He didn't even make it easy for her to go. He wasn't going, and he complained because she went. 
Oh, every now and then, a new preacher would come to town. He'd go visit with Mr. Craddock. Mr. Craddock would say, oh, all they want is another name and another pledge. That's what the church is about, another name and another pledge. He'd have nothing to do with it, nothing to do with it. Fast forward to the end of his life. He's in the veterans hospital. He's had cancer. They've removed his throat. A steel rod now replaces his throat. He can't eat. X-rays, treatments have, have burned him up. He's down to 73 pounds. And Fred Credit recalls, he flies in because they've said if the family's going to get here, they need to come right now. So I walked into his hospital room, and there were stacks, 20-inch stacks of cards all over all the shelves. And he said, even that little tray table where you're supposed to eat, my dad couldn't eat that way. And so even it was covered in flowers and cards and flowers and cards. It was, there was a flower everywhere, a card everywhere. And every one of those cards and flowers was from somebody at the church that his father had spent a lifetime rejecting. Fred Craddock says, I picked up one of those cards and started reading it. My dad, who could now not speak, motioned for me to hand him, and I handed him the Kleenex box. I thought he needed a Kleenex, but instead he wanted to write a note on the side of the box because he couldn't speak. And he wrote a line from Shakespeare, his father did. In this harsh world, draw your breath in pain and tell my story. What is your story, Dad? His father wrote, I was wrong. In this harsh world, draw your breath in pain and tell my story. Daddy, in rejecting the church and the people of God, what was your story? I was wrong. Third and final thing. There are rewards. Look at verse 14. If any man's work which is built upon it remains, he shall receive a reward. Folks, this is the New Testament. If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved. Yet he's saved by the hair of his chinny-chin-chin would be a good translation of that. As Protestants, we've had... Been told faith alone, faith alone, faith alone. And yeah, I'm here to tell you, faith alone is the foundation, but it is just the foundation. But then there is what we build upon that foundation of faith alone. In fact, the language here is found in ancient Greek for contractors who do inferior work. They don't meet their obligations. It's burned up. They suffer loss. It's the contractor who doesn't build well. He suffers loss, the ancient Greek text, text says. But you walk to the throne of God smelling like smoke. It's a hard word from 1 Corinthians this morning. It's January. It's a new month. It's a new opportunity. It's a new year. It's a chance to recommit ourselves to the work of God as the people of God individually and to do it together corporately, commit ourselves to being here, commit ourselves to working and serving and loving and sharing because even worse than a high school reunion, even worse than the hurricane on the coast of Florida is the trying and testing 
of our God. If you're here this morning or watching by way of television, if you thought in coming to First Baptist Church, you could join a church where you would be entertained, you have picked the wrong church. You have messed up. We are not the church that is going to entertain you. We are here to engage you for the kingdom of God. We are not here to entertain you, as good as our music is, our programs are. We are here to engage you, discover your gifts, and put you to work for the kingdom of God. Robbie and I and the staff, we're not the players, we're the coaches. You're the ones that have to take the field and fight the war for his kingdom. Let's pray. Oh God, what a hard word from Paul, and yet we can't pick out the easy words and skip over the hard words. Paul's telling us that we must use our gifts for the church, for the kingdom. If we really want to live a life that makes an eternal difference. Father, thank you for the word this morning that challenges who we are and what we do with our time, our talents, our resources. What a good word to begin our year with in this first month. That we will only do things that make an eternal difference. Amen.